Thank you, Faith. Thank you, Paul. It's beautiful. May that be our prayer even now as we pray together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. We pray that you will open our eyes so that we might behold your glory. Father, I pray that you might open our hearts so that we might believe your story. Father, open our ears so that we might hear from you and obey your word. Father, we ask, Lord, that you might teach us and that we might be receptive to your word. Father, humble us. This is my prayer for this church that we might seek your face, even when it is difficult, even when we are uncomfortable because we are not called to comfort, but Lord, we are called to follow you and to obey you in all things. Lord, I thank you for this time together. Lord, I do pray that we will long for your son's return, that we will pray, come Lord Jesus. But even still, even as we pray, let us remember that we are not done here. So we are not called to coast. We are not called to easy living. So you are not done with your church. So Lord, use us and demonstrate your power and glory and wisdom through us. For you are continuing, despite our sin, despite our rebellion and stubbornness, you are continuing to use us. So Father, make it clear that you are still on your throne and you are still advancing your kingdom. And so, Father, let us seek first your kingdom in all things. Let us pursue you even when we are uncomfortable. Lord, I pray that we will say yes to you, for you are indeed God, and indeed you reign, and you are Lord So, Father, let us submit to you in all things. Lord, even now, as we look at your word, Father, I pray that you will prick our hearts, open our eyes, so that we might see and behold your wondrous mystery, that we might see and behold that you are doing many things through a sinful people. Father, I pray that you might change our heart, O God, make it ever true. Lord, I pray that you might change our hearts to be like you. Father, make us more like Christ, we pray. Lead us by your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever been rebuked by someone? When you hear the word rebuke, it doesn't sound like a good thing. We don't necessarily wake up in the morning saying, I hope I'm rebuked by someone today. But we must see rebukes, a healthy rebuke, as something that is good for us, someone that's seeking to free us from deceptive thinking or reckless living. A good rebuke, a healthy rebuke, Proverbs says, comes from a friend. We see in Scripture that there are those who are rebuked. In fact, I read this past week of an article in Christianity Today of the pastor who said he was so thankful for an elderly father figure in the congregation, a 75-year-old man who came to him and said, Brother so-and-so, I have a rebuke for you. I won't go into all the uh, circumstances regarding that, but the pastor saw it as a good and healthy thing. As I mentioned, we see rebukes throughout Scripture. Samuel rebuked Saul. Jesus rebuked Simon Peter, which we'll look at next week in Matthew 16. 
Paul rebuked the Corinthians when he said these words, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Thankfully, the Christians received this rebuke, and others did as well as they mature in Christ. But, as you know, not all receive rebukes well. There are times when I've received a rebuke, and I did not receive it well at the time, or even for that day. So while a rebuke can open our eyes to deception, some remain in blindness. We're going to see that today in Matthew chapter 15 as Jesus addresses the Pharisees and they don't receive this rebuke well. They don't say, thank you for putting us in our place, Jesus. We're ready to follow you. Our questions were silly and stupid. I don't know why we even brought them up. No, they continue in their immaturity and pride. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 15, actually chapters 14 and 15 this morning. We're going to look at two chapters, but before we get to chapter 15, I want to highlight several major events that take place. Um, I thought about skipping these, but I'm just going to highlight them very quickly. You've probably read them, you've probably studied them, but let's just look at them quickly. Four major events before we get to our passage. First, John the Baptist is killed. This is a traumatic event, a gruesome scene. Someone once said that the Bible is rated R. Well, this uh, scene does not dispute that rating. Herod the Tetrarch, we see in chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, he hears about John the Baptist's fame, hears about his teaching. He's not impressed. He's not wanting to reward him. In fact, he wants to eliminate him. Herod doesn't like the message he is spreading, not just the fact that he's to repent and believe that the kingdom has come, but he doesn't like in particular the message that he was proclaiming and his condemnation of him, of Herod, and his extramarital affairs. So Herod wants to please his fleshly desires. You can read it later in the first 12 verses there of chapter 14. He's trying to please his fleshly desires, and in fact, he grants a wish um, to someone, and he has... John the Baptist beheaded, and the disciples go and retrieve his body and bury it. And so there is lots of major events taking place in chapter 14 and 15. This is the first one. This shows that um, persecution is beginning to take place amongst those who follow Christ. The second major event, again, we're going through these very quickly, is the feeding of the 5,000. This ranks up there with um, David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale, of major stories that you're taught growing up in Sunday school. I'm sure you've been taught this many times. But in this story, in chapter 14, beginning in verse 13, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. In fact, more than 5,000 people. It's 5,000 men. There's many other women and children there. There could have been 10, 15,000 people there. But Jesus calls um, so the disciples to him, and he has loaves of bread and a few fish, and he multiplies them. And some would say, how could you believe this? Again, what's the most difficult verse in the Bible to take in and to receive and to comprehend? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can stomach that verse, the rest is easy. The rest is gravy. Big whale, Goliath, whatever. 5,000, our God can do it. So this is what takes place a meal like no other. We're about to feast on Wednesday. 
Um, I know there's a few things that Renee is doing a great job. Um, Donna and Faith, others organizing this meal on Wednesday. Renee sent out saying we need a few extra um, food items. I'm not worried at all. We'll have plenty to eat on Wednesday. And then at the end of this month, we'll have Thanksgiving dinner. We'll have a huge feast. But these feasts, the Baptist feast, our family feast, pale in comparison to what happened here. Look with me in verse 20. After Jesus multiplies the five loaves, the two fish, they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. So there's even leftovers. So Jesus feeds this multitude. He miraculously feeds this multitude. This is the second major event. Again, I'm starting to get carried away and haven't even got to our passage yet, so I need to pick up the pace. Uh, the third major event in verse 22, I'll remove the suspense, Jesus walks on water. You might not have known that, I'm pretty sure you did though. Jesus walks on water, and unfortunately, some of the signs, I've said this before, some of the signs, the wonders, the miracles can lose their their power. They can be subdued, not because they're not amazing, but because of our own apathy and our own hearts. You know, Paul was talking about the importance of worshiping from the heart this morning. We are going to be looking at the heart in just a few moments. But we see our own sinful humanity and that we are not impressed. But we must be impressed because of who this man is. He's not, he's not Houdini. He's not a miracle worker. He is God in the flesh. He is the God man. And that's why we are called to worship him. Look at what we see at the end of the passage in verse 32. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, what did they say? Truly, you are the Son of God. So this is why we must be impressed. This is why we must be amazed. Not just because he caused the winds to die down, the waves to die down, and this meteorological event was recorded in history. Not because of these facts, but because of who he is. He is the Son of God. And they worship him. One more event, quickly. I didn't want to um, miss this one either. This is described briefly. Chapter 14, verses 34 through 36 This is described briefly, but it shines brilliantly as again we see the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. Jesus heals. He heals throughout his ministry. And again, here is another illustration. As the crowd draws around him, the crowd was continually coming around him. They heard his stories. They heard the reports of those who were healed. And we see Jesus is recognized. They are right. They recognize here he is. Again, after he heals, what does he normally do? Or often he does. He goes to a private place, goes to a place to pray. He secludes himself. But they find him again in this area called Gennesaret and they recognize him. What do they do? They bring their family members. They bring their friends. They bring everybody who needs healing to Jesus because they know he can heal. And so what happens? What does he do? We see in verse 36 that they implored him, they, the people implored him that they might touch the fringe of his garment. So they knew that it was such a crowded place. They were probably weren't going to get a one-on-one audience with Jesus. But if I could just touch the hem of his garment, the fringe of his garment, I will be made well. And in fact, that's what happened. Jesus healed many in, uh, Matthew 
15, the next chapter, verse 31, this is the response of the crowd. There's several more healings in, in chapter 15 and even later on throughout the book. But in Matthew 15, verse 31, this is the response from the crowd after he heals more. It says, when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. So again, the focus is on worshiping God, glorifying God, honoring God, saying this is the God-man. This is the Messiah. And so um, over and over again, uh, we see people responding to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. But not all respond in faith. We see that not all sought to receive Jesus, not all received his words. In fact, some rejected him and questioned him and his teachings. And so that's where we pick up right now. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at the first 20 verses of Matthew chapter 15. So stand with me, if you will, as we honor the reading and preaching of God's holy word. Matthew 15. So then... The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But when you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Amen. You may be seated. So, here in Matthew 15, again, we see that not all are responding with, wow, This is the son of David. Not all are ready to receive his words. In fact, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees who aren't mentioned here but elsewhere, they're ready to question Jesus. They're ready to 
ask him what he means by these things and, and are wondering if he's breaking the traditions. And so as Jesus is approached by the Pharisees and the scribes, they're not looking for an answer. They're not saying, we just have one more question. We're so impressed with your teaching. No, they're wanting to expose Jesus. They're wanting to expose him as a false teacher. The problem is he is not a false teacher. The problem is he is telling the truth. He is the son of David. He has come to proclaim the truth that he is the Messiah and the son of God. But what do they say? What do they say in this passage? They say, why do your disciples? So again, pitting Jesus and his disciples against them and what they are doing and what they are following. And so this question may seem harmless at first. It may seem like, well, it's pretty innocent, but really it has selfish intentions. And they want to question whether or not Jesus is following the way, the ways of their forefathers, the ways of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they're questioning Jesus by bringing up the traditions of the past. Yet they do not realize, as Jesus is about to point out, they're more concerned about themselves, they're more concerned about their traditions than actually following what God's Word says. And so Jesus responds with a rebuke. He says, why do you, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? God commanded, honor your father and mother. So what does Jesus do? He takes him back to the Ten Commandments. He says, you are missing the fifth commandment with your own tradition keeping, your own rule abiding, your own rule making. In fact, they were adding things to God's word. They were um, quoting an oral form that was included in the Mishnah at the end of the second century. And so this part of the oral Torah, is there's no command that they were given that's found in Scripture, except for the priests who were required to wash before eating holy offerings. But what they were saying was not in the Word of God. And so what does Jesus say? Jesus, again, not only quote from the, the Ten Commandments, he quotes from Isaiah. You want to quote the law to me? You want to pretend like you are law abiders? Let me tell you what Isaiah says. So what does he say? He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Wow, Jesus lets them have it. Deep breath, take a moment. It's a bit tense now as Jesus has called them out. As he says, these people, he's not saying just in general. He's saying, you, you Pharisees, you scribes, you're teaching the traditions and the doctrines of men, and I am following God. And so he points out to the Pharisees, they're adding to the word of God, and they don't understand that the word of God leads to worship God. In fact, he says, you have made void the word of God. And so Jesus points out these religious groups are elevating tradition to the point that they've missed the the point of the law. They've missed the ways of God because they're elevating their tradition. So what does Jesus do? He calls them, he calls them out, and he says, you hypocrites. Now, while we are tempted to say and especially think others are being hypocritical, and at times maybe they are, what does Jesus call us to do? Evaluate our own lives, evaluate our own eyes before we look to others. But Jesus here 
is fair. He is right. He is just. He is accurate. Because again, he is the God man. So when he says, you hypocrites, he is right on the money. He is pointing out that they are not following God because their actions, their questions reveal their hearts and their hearts are far from God. He exposes the pious Pharisees, their prideful expectations. And and what is happening is that they are denying the truth and they are denying what really matters. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 20. He says, beware of the scribes. Beware of the Pharisees who like to walk around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, love the best seats at the places of honor. They love to devour widows' houses for a presence, making long prayers. He says, they will receive not gifts, not rewards, the greater condemnation. So while they're patting themselves on the back, Jesus is saying they are hypocritical. They are hypocrites because they're ignoring the ways of God. Jesus quotes from Isaiah again to point out that they are obeying man-made rules, man-made regulations. But what does Jesus require? What does God require? Inner heart transformation. Not, I don't want you to miss the fact that obedience is important. But it's not obedience for the sake of obedience is what God desires. He's not desiring just man-made obedience. He wants obedience that stems from heart transformation. Their works, the Pharisees, the scribes, their works are in vain because they are teaching the commandments and the traditions of men. So what is the application for us? We must be careful what we are teaching. We must be careful what we are upholding, what we are cherishing, what we are saying. Don't touch this. Well, what is this? What is this tradition that we are cherishing and holding on to? Our teaching must be consistent with the gospel that we are proclaiming. The gospel reminds us that Jesus changes hearts. The gospel reminds us that we need our hearts changed. That's what we are about to see in the second part here. We, and also, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. So what is saving faith? To believe with the heart. What is genuine obedience? To obey with the heart. The heart is pivotal to the wisdom literature where we read, My son, give me your heart. Our hearts are central to human relationships. Our hearts are central to knowing and serving one another and loving one another, but our hearts are central to knowing God. This is why Jesus says, when our hearts are far from God, nothing else matters. Listen to this quote by J.C. Ryle. He says, The bent knee, the bowed head, the loud amen, the daily chapter reading, the regular attendance at the Lord's table are all useless and unprofitable so long as our affections are nailed or clinged to sin or pleasure or money or the world. The question that our Lord must first, our question that the Lord is asking us and that must be answered satisfactorily before we can be saved is, do you love me. So we must not just focus on doing this and doing this and doing this and checking this box, but Jesus is saying, do you love me? So Jesus is exposing and and emphasizing the importance of our hearts. 
Let's look at the next section, verses 10 through 20. He talks about how they are emphasizing the traditions, the commandments of men, and nullifying the word of God. And so now he, he kind of elaborates on that in verses 10 through 20. He continues to, to talk about the heart, and he says, It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth, this is what defiles the person. He's not saying, go get a bar of soap. You need to wash out your mouth. He's not saying, look at the outside. But he's saying, look at what's on the inside. Jesus is not teaching us about anatomy or biology, but he's informing our theology. He's correcting what we think, correcting what we believe, and how we seek to know God. He's teaching us that the words we speak reveal more than our thoughts. What do our words say about us? They reveal our hearts. So we must be aware of what we are saying, what we are thinking, because it reveals our hearts. And so the disciples approached Jesus relaying the fact that the Pharisees were offended. You know, <laughs> it'd be interesting being there, the fly on the wall, as the disciples come up and say, do you realize? I don't know if you realize, Jesus, what happened. What you said really ticked off, really upset the Pharisees. And so I could, you know, Jesus saying, yeah, I know. You know, I know they're upset. And Jesus speaks candidly when he says he's not phased. He's not surprised. He's not trying to please men and saying, oh man, I really wanted to say nice things to them. No, he speaks candidly in what he says in verse 13 and 14. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a pit. Jesus speaks very candidly, very boldly, very bluntly. And the Pharisees are heading down the wrong path. They're leading others as well. And this has not escaped the Father's notice. He will bring judgment upon them in due time for their rebellion. But Jesus' emphasis here is not on the Pharisees. He speaks to them. He teaches them the truth, but now his emphasis, his focus turns to the disciples. Look with me in verse 15. Peter says to him, explain the parable to us. He's kind of the spokesman. He is here and elsewhere in the New Testament. And he says, can you elaborate on this? Can you tell us more? And we need this explanation as we do in other places. And Jesus gives them insight. And he goes on to tell them about what he has just said. He speaks of what goes into the stomach from the mouth remains only for a short time before it exits the body. Now, again, what is Jesus emphasizing here? He's not talking about anatomy. He's not talking about hygiene or biology. But rather, he's speaking this way because the Pharisees taught that holiness depended on food and drink, on washing the body and on purifications, on the outer man, on washing the hands, on what they ate, what they drank, what they put into the body. But Jesus says, you've got it backwards. It's not what you're putting into your body. It's what's coming out of your body that's revealing your heart. Heart. And so Jesus corrects them and tells them what makes them clean or unclean is not based upon the outside, but the inside. Look at what Jesus says in verse 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This, this defiles a person. So he's gotten to his point. He's gotten to his thesis. He's gotten to the focus here now 
Look at your hearts. A good friend of mine asked me recently, how is your heart? That's not normally a question we ask someone. Well, I had an echocardiogram a couple years ago. No, that's not the question that's being asked. The question we normally ask someone is, how are you today? But we don't want to know the answer. That's just a pleasantry so we can go on to the next thing. But this is a deeper question, not a surface-level question, as we have asked one another, how is your heart? This is a question I want us to think about this morning. How is your heart? As we think about what Jesus says here, the heart is important. We must evaluate our hearts on a daily basis. This is why Proverbs 4 says, Above all else, guard your heart. From from it flows the spring of life. The ESV says, Keep your heart with all vigilant, for from it flows the spring of life. Jesus tells us why the heart must be checked, why it must be evaluated. In verse 19, he says, out of the heart, he's not saying, let me tell you about these Pharisees and scribes who are some bad dudes. He, no, he is saying, let me tell you about the human condition. In verse 19, he says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. We don't have to look far to see the sin of the human heart. We are not generally good. We are not made with a blank slate. As one uh, theologian put it, from the very beginning of time, we are um, vipers in diapers. And so we are sinful. Our hearts are deceptive. They're sick. They're twisted. There are many verses that support this, whether it be from Psalm 51, Jeremiah 17. Here's a new one, at least new to me, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Look at this verse. It says, There is an evil that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. 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 All have fallen short of the glory of God. The hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. So it's clear what Jesus is saying, we have a heart problem. We have a sin problem. We have a sin problem in the fact that our hearts need to be changed. I was just talking with a brother before the service, and it's saying that we don't emphasize this enough. We talk about this problem, we talk about this problem, but we must talk about the fact that we have a sin problem. Jesus wants the disciples to understand your heart's must be changed. This is why he says, come to me. This is why the Apostle Paul found relief, not in the fact that he was a sinner, but in the fact that there was one who would forgive him of his sin, who would cover him of his sin, and have mercy and grace upon him, even while he sins. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 7. He says, wretched man that I am. Paul knew that he was a sinner. And in Romans 7, he says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So Paul recognized there is a sin problem. He recognized that he had to be forgiven of his sin. That he had to be cleansed of his sin. So look with me at the last verse this morning, verse 20. He says, these evil thoughts, murder, adultery. And if we think, well, I've never murdered anybody, what does Jesus say? He takes the law, 
puts the microscope on it, amplifies it. He says, have you ever had anger in your heart towards your brother? Then you have. So before we try to find a, 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 a loop in which we can jump through, we are all in this category. And these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So Jesus is saying, do not listen to the blind guides, the Pharisees and the scribes. Listen to me, because I am preparing the way in which you must follow. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life in which we must follow him in order to know God. So as we see our sin problem, as we see our hearts, we must understand that our hearts need changed. We need heart surgery. We need radical inner transformation. So this is why we read in 1 Timothy 6, to flee the things of the flesh. So let me encourage you this morning as you think about your own heart that we have been changed. We're to flee the things of the flesh, flee the things that Jesus outlines here. And if you are a woman or a child, if you are a woman of God, a a man of God, a child of God this morning, you are called to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So as we think about our hearts and our heart and our sinful condition, we must remind ourselves that we are children of God and our hearts have been changed. But let me encourage you also this morning that if your heart has not been changed, if you're still living in filth, still focusing on what you can do or not do, what you can obey or not do, Jesus is calling you to come to Christ, to trust in Christ. Again, this morning I was talking with a brother. We must emphasize our sin problem if we are going to change other problems. The gospel must be taught, must be preached. And so again, this message for us this morning is for us to share that we are unclean apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for exposing our hearts. Lord, I pray that we will guard our hearts, we will keep our hearts with all vigilance. Lord, I pray that we will recognize we can only do this by turning to you, by trusting in you. So, Father, as we think about what we have gone through recently, the trials, the troubles, the things that we are dealing with right now, the things that we are struggling with right now, Father, I pray that we will do not, that we will not let our hearts be troubled, but we will trust in you. Father, the Pharisees and the scribes, they turned, they rebelled from you. But Father, I pray that we will turn to you. So Lord, lead us even now to seek your face. Pray, Father, for your spirit to open our eyes to our sin. And Lord, I pray that we will see that what we cherish in our hearts, whatever idol it may be, will lead to all sorts of wreckage. But Lord, if we are cherishing Christ, if we are cherishing the good news of the gospel, then out of our hearts will flow streams of life, will flow love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so, Father, I pray that you will teach us to trust in you and to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.